0: Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Deason, here with Louis D'Souza, and this is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today, and uh, as I try to turn off the sound over on the other computer so we don't get all confused here, I just wanted to say we've got a couple of pieces of news that we're going to be passing your way. First is that the stream of David, David Strickle, is going to be um, moving on and doing some other stuff. He'll be back occasionally to a guest appearance and so forth but we will be getting a new co-host on tuesday his name is dean mcmurray he goes by the handle the military medium and he has been on the show a few times and so he's going to become a regular and he's a good guy louis he's he his head's on straight mm. he's, he's got really grounded um responses and reactions to situations and maybe the military background does that i don't know but really interesting guy and uh <laughs> so looking forward to uh getting him on here on a regular basis. And we're also going to have a special guest to join him on his first day, which will be next Tuesday. David Strickle is going to finish the show tomorrow. So tomorrow will be uh, the last chance for those of you who want to send in a question for the stream to answer. Um, That will be the show for that. But the following week, Dean will be joining us and we'll have a special guest. Uh, She goes by the name of Serenity Sam and a fascinating person. She's got uh, quite the background, has done a lot of uh, what some people call shadow work on herself Um, lots of uh, dealings with, uh, what's the phrase they use? Oh, the dark night of the souls. And uh, interesting perspectives Mm. there. So we're going to get to know her a little bit. So um, Amy, Amy Blackford has uh, a family thing going on. She's got uh, an important visit from a close loved one that's happening today. So she will be back next week. And Louie, that means it's just you and me today. Think you think we can handle it? I mean,
1: you know. Amy, come on.
0: (laughs) no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've done it before. No big deal. But we did get an email a couple of weeks ago, and this was actually part of, I guess you might call it um, a series of emails or or a thread. Uh, She, he or she, we're not really sure. We're trying to figure out. (laughs) But Chris, Chris was the person who wrote in, and Chris had responded to a show that we had done, I think it was in... Oh, late October, early November. And Chris listened to us on PRN in New York and wasn't really familiar with the show, but responded to something. And uh, we wrote back and so forth. And Chris followed up again with a rather lengthy uh, response to that uh, email, to that last email about two weeks ago. And I thought I'd share it here because, first of all, I promised Chris that uh, we would be bringing it up here on the Monday show because I figured it'd be a great topic for you to address, Louie. And secondly, Uh, I mean, just there's a lot of interesting stuff in here that we can bring up. So let me read the email to you. It says, thanks for doing what you do. You seem like a great guy, so thought I'd share a couple of insights for your information regarding your worthy plan of public speaking to young adults. No response necessary. You must get a ton of mail. I was touched that you took the time to write, and I'm doing fine. And then she, he or she, Chris, I forget this if we're not getting the gender right, but that's just me. As a science writer, Chris writes, I've learned some unfortunate facts that relate to today's young adults. Toxic exposures incurred during development in utero and childhood have more profound effects than the same exposures incurred during adulthood. Young people today were born into a more toxic environment than we were. In particular, children born during the 1990s received excessive exposure to mercury in their vaccines. This can be expected to convey lifelong susceptibility to anxiety, depression, and other neurological issues. And then parenthetically, Chris writes, this is documented in the scientific literature, but is not openly acknowledged by our health authorities. When I hear people like Jonathan Haidt complain about how today's college students need too much coddling, I feel angry at his presumptions. This article by my colleague, Janet Kern, explains how vaccine mercury affects the developing brain. I think that young people who are stressed by their toxic exposures as well as by modern life could benefit from the stress-reducing aspects of LOA, learning to imagine a positive outcome and to discern and act on one's preferences, which may include staying out of the fast lane. (laughs) Going on, Chris writes. Indirectly related to your field is the parasympathetic polyvagal theory, e.g., Stephen Porges. 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 I'm not sure what the pronunciation of Stephen's name is. In today's world, our nervous systems are often in sympathetic mode—flight or flight, flight or fight—rather than parasympathetic, rest and digest. The latter of which is important for health. One way we boost our parasympathetic polyvagal mode is to co-regulate, to socialize with others with whom we feel safe based on our neuroception, subconscious perception of the other's body language, eye contact, vocal tone, etc. This important means of neuro, nervous system regulation is unfortunately precluded by shutdowns, masking, sheltering, and isolating. Going on, Chris writes, as someone who is slightly on the autism spectrum, I often don't understand things that are obvious to others. I usually need things to be spelled out. LOA, Chris writes parenthetically, seems to be a way of making explicit things that some people, not me, seem to know instinctively. When I was going to Weight Watchers years ago, I found it quite challenging and stressful. You're supposed to record your intake and exercise and stay within your assigned point count. I completely missed the idea that Rather than being an end in itself, this point system was simply a means to improve focus and awareness. It was not mandatory to stay within your assigned point count. It was just information to help you judge what effect a particular level of intake and exercise would have on the scale. Awareness doesn't need to be stressful. LOA need not involve adding tasks to one busy to-do list. It mainly just involves envisioning positive outcomes and discerning visceral preferences, which doesn't take time and actually freeze time by precluding over analysis. Not that I know much about LOA, this is just my take. So quite a few thoughts there from Chris. And I don't really know where you want to begin, Louis, but I was fascinated overall by two points. First, that uh, Chris has apparently done quite a bit of research and has made herself, himself or herself quite knowledgeable about uh, uh, some of the lesser known research. Secondly, I was also uh, interested that Chris was focusing on the nervous system and particularly referencing, was it the parasympathetic polyvagal um, side of, it, of the nervous system? And I honestly have little or no information in my own background about that, so I can't address it. I just thought it was interesting Chris brought that up. So there, th- those are my initial impressions. But what do you think? What do you think about Chris, had to, what she had, what he or she had to say?
1: Um. Yeah, there's so much there. So let's just address bits and pieces that I remember. Um, Okay. First of all, getting annoyed um, about anybody who's got any idea of whatever they're thinking, whatever they're believing, is of no real value. So you will hear many people having many different viewpoints along the way and my advice would be to let them have them and just be clear what you believe. So that would be a very important factor in my life. So if somebody was really running on about vaccines or anything or the kids being too mollycoddled in this day and age, um, I I would say fantastic, you can have your viewpoint. But I know that because of, my background and my experiences, um, I've become incredibly resilient. So, and I, I believe that almost anybody can become very resilient. Um, and they also talk about LOA easing a lot of the stresses that are in today's world, et cetera. And I completely agree with that. <clears throat> um, I haven't seen anything out there. Well, nothing that I've seen is um, as effective once you have grasped the philosophy and starting to live it, because it's so integral in your own life, it's so basic, it's so primal, um, that if you understand it and work with it, it truly eases um, a lot of the mental tension, as I've mentioned many times, it's one of the biggest things I've always done for me, is pretty much take away 90%, if not more, of my mental stresses and strains. So, Um, Yeah, I mean, it's hugely advantageous. And also they talked a lot about needing things spelled out because of autistic um, uh, individuals may need more explaining of how things actually work. And the way LOA has done it and maybe our program, et cetera, um, has been very beneficial. And I understand that concept fully because we rarely do over how many years now (laughs) – go over mm-hmm. these similar concepts again and again from different angles and different ways so that people can grasp them clearer and clearer and clearer. And it's hugely advantageous, I think, to to grasp it and to see it from many different angles. That's what I loved about Abram Hicks. You know, Abram Hicks took many different people with different problems and used the same solution with the different problems and came to a very good place with pretty much anybody who sat in the chair. And um you know, that that really leaves you relatively impressed with anybody who can take individuals, no matter what their problem, take pretty much the same solution <clears throat> um, and massage it into their lives and help them um, find it easier. So, yeah, um, I like the idea of fight and flight versus, I can't remember the other two, but reset and... Well, I don't know I was it recover recovered or something, but um, you know, I really I really appreciate um that kind of concept because when you think of fight flight you you generally only think in that scenario and fight and flight is really just pouring water on the fire all the time and not getting to a place where there's no fire where you can just sit back and relax and rest. And of course that's where the meditation comes in, by that's the when the mind comes in. Did you, rest yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you, Rest and digest was the
1: other word. And digest, yes. Yeah. So um, I would even take it a step further and say you really want to get to a stiller place. Um, So you're not even digesting anymore, but you really want to slow everything down to a degree that you... Torturous thoughts aren't even there anymore. Um, And... Yeah, Abram says it's easier to teach somebody to still the mind than it is to keep, teach them to focus on positive things. I know you might have a slightly different view on that, but um, it really does appeal to me largely very very hugely from all the people I've learned and worked with, et cetera. Stilling the mind is um, very, very, very beneficial in the beginning. And I think after that, I think you get to the place where you have so many positive thoughts and you're working with them so actively that um it's a very easy place to be you know where where you and i are i think i don't want to speak for you but um uh, well i think you're pretty um, much on
0: track you know what you're saying is essentially accurate the only thing i I would perhaps modify is i just try to avoid the use of the word positive or negative just because there's often a there there are there's baggage that's attached to those words that i like to try to avoid so i like you know prefer or don't prefer like or don't like but other than that i i agree completely with what you said i i mean we have no disagreement Mm. there
1: I mean, life is very much about this vibrational interpreting machine getting input, input all the time. So you're sitting there and, you know, you've got the car moving, you've got different cars, you've got people talking, you've got people discussing things, you've got all of that, and that's just input coming in. Now what happens is humans sit there afterwards and we take this this input, which has come in, and we label that's good, that's bad that's good that's bad so we've got all these labels which we, we we take and the input once it come in is actually completely neutral it's completely absolutely neutral until we give it the label good or bad and it's a it's another way of like looking at or showing people to look at what is happening in their life there is no judgment initially when everything comes in the judgment comes afterwards. Well, you take your mind and you say, this is good, tick, this is bad, tick. And we're sitting there with all these judgments, and then that is what often tortures us because we're, we're, we're doing that. So if you get to the place that you are not judging anything, you are simply letting it come in and you're seeing the world as it is without any judgment, that is kind of a place where I'm starting to see myself largely at the moment is um, very frustrating for people because they want to get under your skin or they want to confront you or something. And you say, well, I agree with what you're saying. You know, it's okay. You can have that (laughs) point of view. It's no problem. And, you know, it gets very aggravating for some people. But, you know, as I say, because of my vibration, I don't even attract those individuals anymore. So... Mm. Uh, I very rarely get challenged on any level um, because it's not really my desire. I don't need to be challenged. So, <laughs> even when you go out of your, your way go to go to the speaker's, speakers corner.
0: I said, even when you go out of your way to go to the speaker's corner, what I do yeah. is I,
1: <laughs> I, I find a way of agreeing with them so that I can add more different concepts, ideas, so that they can they can kind of work with them. Because if I'm argumentative with them, they know they're going to shut down. The walls are going to close down and the information that I'll I'm interested in sharing. Not, it's just going to be blocked. It's going to be a waste of time. So, right. yeah, yeah. Um, you you can in time find a way of getting those people to listen to if you want. And and often I, I like, you know, I'm very good at that in the past. And because it's an active of vibration in me, I still use it now and again. As I, I, I find it very easy to push people's buttons. So, you know, somebody's got a little issue with something, I'll push it and massage it a little bit, and then I'll, I'll explain to them what their reaction is and why it's like that from their point of view. And then I'll push it a bit more, and, and I'll kind of play <laughs> with it, but i make sure they understand that I'm playing with it and I'm not actually trying to get a rise out of them and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, and I'm trying to, trying to aggro them. But uh, So, yeah, and, and I find it really helps, and I've seen in my life those, those people, who had one boss in the Met Police who, used to take individuals in meetings and make them walk out crying. You know, these are adults who are there to share information and be in this meeting with this individual. And they would walk out literally crying and and fearful of him. And it was just amazing. You know, I always remember him going to the head of the table, raising the seats, setting the scene before he even walked in, you know, he was doing everything to be powerful. And the fascinating thing I found about it is he never, ever, 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 try to do that with me <laughs> and i started to realize that i wasn't a vibrational match there was nothing he could do you know there was this void with me so he didn't even bother trying and that was fine so you know i actually became very pals and everybody else hated trying. that's fine um, and we're you not know, big pals but you know he, he got along very well um yeah, i don't think he was big pals or anything but uh you know the amount of times i saw my immediate boss come out of those meetings uh crying was uh quite a few. <laughs> i was trying to to make her you know feel a little more detached about the whole process and what they're doing because he was really helping her he was really helping her get onto her game get clear about what she wanted where she was going what she wanted to present in the meeting and the next time you came back i promise you each one of those people who ever came back to those meetings came back with far greater clarity than when, when than the first time that they walked in. And, um, you know, he, he got things done and he got clarity out of them. He was, I don't know, I don't I don't think he was ever really terrible to people, but, you know, people allowed that to happen to them. He was just very clear. This is what I want. This is what I believe. You don't know what you're talking about. Come back when you know what you're talking about, you know, and he was very, very clear. <laughs> He knew what he wanted and he wanted to make sure people came in with the right information and that was it. You know, he never went out to abuse anybody. But he made it very clear that they were, you know, not up to par. And uh, yeah, I remember yeah, so many scenarios that I've walked in meeting <laughs> room. It was really an education for me. But I did see the value to it all because none of them came back into that room without being very clear. None of them, not at once. It's interesting and, uh, that you mentioned that, especially their
0: <laughs> yeah, in their lesson. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yep, it's interesting that lessons. you mentioned this. In, that was in, what he was trying in, to do. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, in the context also of what Chris wrote, because again, you made reference to the fact that Chris said she's slightly, he or she is slightly on the autism spectrum. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a conversation that I had with Daniel and Alex on Thursday, because they are both on the autism spectrum as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, And one of the things I was asking them had to do with how they respond uh, to large numbers of people. And both of them agreed Mm -hmm. that when they're responding to large numbers of people, they can actually shut down. It just becomes too overwhelming to their senses. uh, Because an autistic person essentially is somebody who's built-in filtering doesn't work the same way as it does for a, quote, normal person, unquote. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what normal means, but I can tell you what the filtering means. Uh, we've talked about this a lot lately. <laughs> uh, from a physical, scientific perspective, it's all about what they call the ARAS, the ascending reticular activating system, which is really just a, a section of the brain at the brainstem collection of cells that provides filtering. Um, Cindy Chavez likes to bring it up a lot, and she often says to me, I never remember the the number, Walt. Do you remember the number? And I always said, no, I don't remember the number. Well, I went and looked up the number, and the number is actually 11.21 million bits of information per per second. That's what all five of our senses give to us every single day. Meanwhile, our super-duper brains can handle 50 bits per second. So you can kind of tell that that means like 99.999% of the data that comes into our senses, our brains are unable to process, which is kind of scary in some ways.
1: <laughs> well, they do process, so they just filter it out, isn't it?
0: Well, they filter it, yes. They filter it so that, yeah. I guess I should say, the conscious mind can't process it. It's too much for the conscious mm-hmm. mind to handle, which I think it's actually kind of helpful um, and I know I'm kind of getting away from my comment about autism, but I'll get back to that in a second. I think it's kind of helpful that we have that filtering uh, because it also helps to understand how it is that law of attraction actually works. I mean, if we let, let's say we put a vibration out there to attract X and we are failing to notice 99.999% of the stuff that comes our way. Well, no wonder mm-hmm. we don't get the stuff we're looking for. We're just not filtering properly for it. So we may, on um, th- uh, this is where I- Abraham's explanation of vibration really helps. But we-, we may be wanting very much to have, you know, a- a- an ideal relationship coming to our lives. But if we're not in the right vibration for it, or to put it another way, if we haven't uh, programmed our aras to filter properly for it, when the vi- when the relationship comes up, we won't see it. It's kind of like the, the old tale about the, the visitors to the new world who couldn't be seen on the oceans by the natives because they'd never seen ships on the oceans. So it was impossible for them to yeah. even see the ships. You know, It's the same basic concept. That if you're not programmed to see a great relationship when it pops into your life, you're not going to see it. And I, I think yeah. that really helps to understand why it is law of attraction is such a difficult concept for us because we miss most of the stuff that shows up. Do <laughs> you
1: remember what I was talking about earlier while um, I was saying that if you stop judging everything and yes. you just see things as they are then I think you'd be able to see so much more.
0: Yes, I agree with that.
1: Because you now have that whole judgment aspect kicking in at the moment and you're just perceiving, you're just direct perception of everything that's around you. And you really do, as most people who've heard or followed any spiritual experience or path or group or whatever has started to realize that you, you kind of have a detachment. You kind of don't judge things so much anymore. And um, it it is part of the process. It is part of how it all works. And it really is interesting because I find myself having conversations over christmas you know it's a time where people get together and they discuss their philosophies of the politics and the current situation and all the rest of it and i'm sitting there watching all this and just a little bit confused like, are you getting so wound up about that that's somebody's opinion let it go let them have it <laughs> you know and it's it's just winding them up something chronic and you're just sitting there okay that's right. um and there's an element that somebody will say you're totally blase and you know you don't care about anything and you know you've got that whole aspect of what people will come up with, but that's not really true. You're actually really caring about alignment. If you want to care about something really intensely in your life, care about alignment and um it'll really help. It makes a huge difference. Your mind's more relaxed, you're not so focused on the negative things, um, you perceiving things as they are. You're more accepting, I mean, when I got angry the other day about that fine that I got it was it was really annoying, you know, I was like right out of whack, I was like totally out of alignment, I was like really getting annoyed, and then my wife just saying, well, wow, look at it from a positive point of view, you know you're a fast manifesto, what was that a couple <laughs> <laughs> worried about of, <laughs> yeah, that's no, true, and then is back uh, to, you I know, um... just had to laugh."
0: I have
1: I'm to sorry. offer that and just um,
0: relax into it. Yeah. I, I was just saying that uh, tying this back to the whole thing about the person who's on the autism spectrum, if, if you're autistic, that filtering doesn't work quite as well. So you're actually getting more data into your conscious mind than your conscious mind can handle, which is why people on the spectrum tend to shut down a bit. It also ties into what Chris wrote because Chris wrote how uh, Chris says, I don't often, I often don't understand things that are obvious to others. I usually need things to be spelled out. And I think that's, well, that's certainly uh, the way Chris sees it. I think I would express the same thing from another perspective. And that is, I prefer to have things spelled out because I attain clarity that way. And it doesn't exactly. really matter what other clarity. people are doing. Yep. Yeah. It's the clarity. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. Looking how at it from
1: clarity. a slightly, looking from a slightly different perspective, you can ease it. You can ease mm-hmm. it. We're looking at it from the perspective Uh, Chris came from is it's rather brutal, Um, and it's not easing it. So looking at it from a clarity perspective, which is exactly what I thought of while you were saying it as well. Mm. um, You know, I would be spot on. I'd agree with that 100%. You know, Um, I'd be looking for clarity. You know, if if you've got all, as I say, when you're just perceiving it directly, you're perceiving more in my mind than if you're judging it all while you're perceiving it. So you're getting a lot more in, but you're just letting it be, you know, you're just letting it come in and be. And so maybe the challenge with these guys is not that they're getting more input. It's maybe that they're judging it more. I don't know. There's possibly, a concept to throw out for all those brilliant people.
0: Yeah. I, I can't say one way or another. Um, no. I have even been told by, Daniel, that he thought maybe I was a bit on the autism spectrum. I have no knowledge about that either way. I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure whether I am or not. <laughs> but what I will tell you is this. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I mean, it's well, quite but, possible that they're judging it. But, but the fact is, you know, that's what people often do. They judge. And and I would say that if I look at Daniel and Alex, Daniel in particular, especially Daniel, he's not really, in many ways, he's not a judging person. He Most of the time, he, he has... Great perspective on stuff um, I mean but that I that would be his ability
1: to to deal with that extra input stimuli is by not judging that that would be yeah. my conclusion to that um, that means he probably handles it particularly well guessing um, but there's another thing Abram brings up which I think is quite interesting. Abram says that that people that are more sensitive have a greater Connection with source. So the intense sensitivity allows them to align a lot, align, line line or not align very quickly and very easily because it's very sensitive. And when I told this to a very sensitive individual once, who had spent huge amount of their life dealing with all this mental sensitivity stuff in degrees and lengths and breadths, which you can't even begin to understand. Um, although some people who <laughs> are listening to this too, are autistic maybe you can. Um, <laughs> said to me, these are the, the words this individual said to me. That's the most beautiful thing anybody has ever said to me. Hmm, yeah. Because they perceived the truth in it. And I must admit that individual after that conversation over the years changed massive. They are really? able to deal with it 100% better. And it wasn't only that conversation with other conversations and their life growing and their own stuff and, and all the rest of it, you know, it wasn't just what I said, but That's I good. perceived a marked improvement after that statement. It was like, like they had the validation that they were looking for. Um, so I often bring it up to anybody who is super sensitive in certain ways that their alignment is 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 closer is greater, but that alignment, because of the contrast aspect, will hurt a lot on the other side quicker and easier. But the highs will also be quicker and easier.
0: So basically, there are trade-offs whichever way you go. That's essentially what we're saying here. On the one hand, if it comes quickly and easily to make the the shift the the trade off is on the one hand you're able to make the shift quickly. You're able to you don't have to do a whole lot of messing around Mm. like other people do. On the other hand, if you make the shift slowly, you don't have to deal with all the craziness that the people who can do it shortly can do. I mean it's trade offs. Which Mm. one do you prefer? Which one feels better. But on
1: the other hand, if you have played a lot on the negative side, the law of attraction is going to expand that and you're going to feel Louis talking rubbish because I'm so immersed and ingrained in the stuff that I can't get out of it. And, and when you understand that it's just an accumulation of thought over time um, in the what I don't want or, or a direction, then you kind of get it. Kind of like, yeah that's hey, going
0: to happen yeah. regardless yeah. it's going to happen regardless of whether you're you're in the place of of being able to make the quick adjustment or you make a slow adjustment it's going to be the same result either way it yeah. doesn't make any difference really yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it, it does it's get bigger bad. either way for for both of us yeah because <laughs> i yeah. i don't what have do think that it's... that keen sensitivity that these guys sometimes have um i'm not in that uh, in that bandwidth at all Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's funny how... And it's interesting that they call it an autistic vibration.
1: scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I'm talking about now. It breaks down to autistic scale. Now, I'd like the autistic scale to be broken down for me because I didn't really think of it before this conversation as a scale. But what they're mm-hmm. kind of talking about is different vibrational, quantifiable words that they probably put into some kind of system based on the vibration. Um, They probably wouldn't even look at it in terms of vibration, but they would have given them different names, labels in the psychological world.
0: You got me wondering. I'm going to ask Daniel and Alex about that on Thursday. Do they see the scale as different levels of vibration? I, I have no
1: idea what they'll say to that. But what is the scale? I don't even know what an autistic scale is. Or they're just talking about just one word, autistic, and then you get very bad and, and, and not so bad. Is that, is that the scale it's, level it's,
0: That That's the sense that I have, that there are some people who have great uh, great numbers of, of traits that are associated with autism, and there are other people who have some but a lot fewer than, than what the more severely autistic people are. Uh, I, I think we, quote, in the normal world, unquote, uh, tend to kind of think about the whole topic in terms of seeing somebody who's severely autistic and how they behave and interact with the world from the outside, what it looks like from the outside, and assume, okay, that's somebody who's severely autistic. And then we see somebody else who mm. seems to behave, quote, normally, unquote, uh, most of the time, and then they exhibit a few characters we say, oh, well, that person is slightly autistic. I think that's the uh, the scale that we're talking about. But I'll, okay. I'll tell you quite honestly, I think it's a pretty vague scale myself. I think it's it's a very subjective scale, and I don't think it really. I'm tells sure us somebody about.
1: would tell me I'm autistic too. <laughs> <laughs> and you also knows, mentioned something else, there. and
0: I I wanted to bring something oh, else up that you mentioned. Yeah. You you mentioned the idea of um uh, how do you describe it uh, sensitive sensitivity of connection to source or sensitivity of connection to oneself, and. I thought that was an interesting idea. Very often we hear people talk about uh, regaining your connection or you lose your connection and get it back or something like that, which I've always, I've resisted that idea because I, I don't think it's accurate. I think that we always have the connection. It's just a question of whether
1: we're paying attention. Yeah, to. you always have the connection. You completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's our but perception or our it. belief if we're connected to it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. so the way Abram puts it is this, if you are a very sensitive person, you have a strong, connection to source. Those are
0: the words. Okay. Yeah, I can see that because essentially what they're saying is if you have a sensitivity, it means uh, in some way you are able to detect changes, shifts, um, variations in your own vibration and whatever you're receiving from your inner being, uh, in what you're receiving through your senses from other people or from other events and circumstances, and that sensitivity is just a way of saying you're you're noticing, you're noticing a whole lot more. Well, if you're noticing more, I think it's fair to say yeah, you're more more connected. It, it's a stronger connection, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, It makes a lot of sense. So, but
1: something's here, very sensitive, sensitive and looked at it as socially wrong. <laughs> in some shape (laughs) or form and you know can't handle big crowds of people etc um you know when you tell them that you actually have a strong connection to source it can actually validate some kind of understanding of where they are well well
0: there's Um, also a couple ways to look at the words they do they do I mean, one of the ways we can look at sensitive is just in terms of like this autistic uh, spectrum idea. But we can also look at sensitivity in terms of like what you were talking about before, people who respond to opinions of others and they get worked up about them. Well, that's a form of sensitivity. It's a different Hmm. kind in the sense that. The person who is being affected, allowing themselves to be affected by someone else's opinions is basically kind of giving up some of their own power, but it's still a form of sensitivity. It's just, it's different Mm. than the other kind. And I think, I think it would be fair to say almost everybody is sensitive one way or another. It's just a question of what form of sensitivity are we talking about? At least that's the way I would see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're pointing out the every subject's two subjects, taking sensitivity in and focusing on what you want, what you don't want about it, mm-hmm. breaking that down. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah.
0: Well, partly that, but also I think it's, I, I, I challenge the idea that there are people who are not sensitive. I think that the most we can ever say is they cut themselves off from it by not giving their attention to whatever the it is. In this case, it's some form of sensitivity to oneself or to others or whatever. But it's a cutoff. Maybe mm. they didn't consciously intend to cut off, but they cut off in some way. And and the cutoff means sim- mm. it means simply I'm not paying more attention. I'm paying less attention. And the less attention that I pay, then the more quote, insensitive, unquote, I seem. But it's not really insensitive. It's just not paying attention. It's just, I refuse to give my attention to that thing and I'm not going to bring more of it into my life. I may not understand how law of attraction works, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just doing it because that's what I do. You know, so is that, is that mean that that person doesn't have a strong connection to source? Not necessarily. Does it mean that no. that person doesn't have a strong sensitivity to others? Not necessarily. just means they're not paying attention. I mean, paying attention is yeah. a conscious choice that we make Function, for a variety uh, of paying reasons. Paying attention
1: means awareness, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think about the fact that um, th- this also comes out of a, a, a response that I gave to Chris when I first wrote back to her uh, about this email, because I also gave her some stuff about this email. Um, uh, him or her, I, I keep saying her, but I don't know if it's her. <laughs> Forgive me, Chris, if I got it wrong. But uh, there's a uh, a particular test that was done by physicists who essentially wanted to challenge what people like you and me talk about, um, the role of consciousness. Particularly, they were trying to address it in the context of quantum mechanics, quantum physics, because one of the concepts that those of us who talk from a spiritual perspective often uh, drag out of quantum mechanics is the observer phenomenon, that when uh, an observer is looking at an event, it will produce a different from a result from when an observer is not looking at the event. And the way that the experimenter attempted to counter uh, the role of the observer, as spiritual type people like us um, draw it out, is they said we're going to make an experiment where the observer is an electronic device, and the electronic device is mm-hmm. through some you know random function is going to make the observation and therefore make the determination about what happens. And if such an observer effect happens, then it proves that consciousness doesn't have to be a part of it. And so they performed the Mm -hmm. experiment, got the result they were looking for, and they said, ah, see, this proves it doesn't have to be a conscious observer. It just has to be the presence of something. And I laughed when I, I first read that. I laughed because I thought to myself, boy, this really shows the axioms, the assumptions that scientists work by and live by, Um, one of the most common ones being that the only conscious beings in our universe are humans. They sometimes might be willing to give some degree of credit for minor amounts of consciousness to certain mammals under certain circumstances, but that's about it, that's about as far as their idea of consciousness goes. And so if you accept their axiom, their assumption, that that's all there is in terms of consciousness, then, well, their experiment is validated. Thing is, I don't accept that that axiom. I think consciousness is in everything. I think it's it's in every human, in every animal, every insect, every rock, every tree. Every it's everywhere, you know. And yep. and once you realize that, then well, you can put anything in there you want as as an observer, and there's consciousness involved. So it pretty much ruins the experiment.
1: <laughs> and, and from my perspective, every smallest particle known to man, and smaller, and whatever is out there. Every single one of them has the knowledge of the whole, has the awareness of the whole.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's something science is just beginning so to develop. To me, too.
1: God is in everything. Mm-hmm. Source is in everything. Source doesn't exist outside any physical particle in any shape or form. And the so whole when I is t- in, in, the, in the individual part of that.
0: So when I tie it's this like back the to what we we're talking
1: about, can be a term of tree.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I tie this back to what uh, we were talking about earlier, about uh, the connectedness that, you know, some people are more connected or some people have a stronger or more sensitive connection. Others have a weaker connection. To me, that's the same thing as saying, uh, you know, only humans have the consciousness. The other, there, there might be some other consciousness in other places, but there's not so much. And I think to myself, nah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> there's consciousness everywhere. That means <laughs> as long wherever the, you have consciousness, you have awareness. Wherever you have awareness, that's it. You have awareness. And that's just a question of where is the consciousness that um, we're talking about giving the awareness to.
1: Abram often points out that animals have a greater connection to source and that's why they can really be a benefit to us so they oh sorry just give me a sec i've got the youtube running here and i was wondering where that sound was coming from (laughs) it's coming from other speakers (laughs) um and uh, so where was i i've got distracted voting there
0: I'm not sure where you were going, so I can't really help you a whole lot. Um, you were talking about what Abraham says about uh, animals being more sensitive than humans. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Animals um, have, a, have a, a high level of alignment. So, you know, you're stroking a cat and all the rest of it, and you feel good around them or dogs or whatever, whatever animals you've got, horses. or. So <clears throat> they, they don't focus on their minds negatively a, a lot of the time, there is a level of it, but it's minute compared to a human, so mm-hmm. um they're more in the present, in the now, you know, in balance, so we can gain a huge amount by looking at them, watching them, aligning with them, being with them, um, appreciating them, appreciating nature, appreciating grass, trees, wind, air, you know, whatever. Um <clears throat> So, yeah, um, I can understand why my sister, for example, who's very, very big into nature, you know, she thinks everything's nature. Nature's the answer to everything. And, you know, it's just like been like this for centuries, for as long as I've known her, centuries. <laughs> um, How long have you known her, Louis? So, <laughs> yeah, don't judge me from this lifetime alone. Yeah? Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, there are those who really get it about nature and animals and all the rest of it. And there's people like me that don't really get it too much because until I was told this by Abram and I started working it out for myself, I didn't get what these people saw in this. I didn't realize that they were looking at a greater level of alignment than a lot of other humans around them. So it, it kind of was like an eye opener for me. Oh, that's what they're getting at. That's what they're getting at. So I was really, really shocked when that penny dropped and I kind of got that. Um, and now I admire nature and animals to a far greater degree than I ever did, which has been very beneficial to me, and it's probably what allowed a cat to come live in our house, which mm-hmm. we don't have to look after. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just appreciate, enjoy, and gets fed next door and goes and poos next door. So, you know, I just Absolutely. love it. It's just such a cool arrangement. <laughs> and it's been going on now for months and months and months. So.
0: Talk talk about attracting exactly what you wanted. That's really great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, beneficial for the neighbors because, you know, their cats don't get along with this cat. Um, And, uh, you know, at least the cat is living somewhere else and he's happy and has got a nice environment, you know. Mm -hmm. um, And we're enjoying it. And the family, I mean, the kids always wanted an animal. So, you know, there were so many pluses of the universal law of attraction Turned out and made this um, made this happen. I was just really impressed. It's like I would never have dreamed of that in a million years. I would have thought we had to go, <laughs> go out and get our own cat or whatever right. and, and feed it and you know and all the rest of it. But, One other so, thing you know, I wanted, wanted to make happen? a
0: point about about uh, autism because we uh, we mentioned the autism spectrum before and, and Chris said that Chris is on the spectrum and, and Daniel and Alex are um, the the observation that I've made about people I know on the autism spectrum and about what little I do know about what it's like to be autistic is that the people, and I won't say it's just people, I suspect it's also animals and other uh, conscious mm-hmm. beings as well. Conscious beings who who essentially choose to come into this life uh, to experience an autistic experience are in some ways going to the gym. I've talked about that analogy before about you, you go to the mental gym to kind of work your LOA muscles, to work your ability to mm-hmm. focus on what you want to focus on, take your mind off what you don't want to focus on, all that kind of thing. And who, who can uh, say that they've had to do that more uh, diligently than an autistic person because they don't have mm-hmm. the built-in filtering that I've got, so they – they have to kind of compensate for it and they have to really apply themselves to focus. And they do. That's what's so interesting and amazing to me. Autistic people are able to focus to degrees well beyond what I can. Um, And I suspect Mm -hmm. what is also true for many other people. I'll give you an example. There's a a movie that came out a few years ago called Temple Grandin about a young woman named Temple Grandin, who is autistic and the movie did a wonderful job of demonstrating, presenting, showing what it's like to be autistic within the world. And the example Mm -hmm. that always comes to my mind is uh, when Temple was uh, like a young teenage girl, she went to her uncle's cousins, a a relative's farm, a, a ranch to live for a summer. And they show a scene where, you know how on, ranches in the U.S., they have these gates. They're, they, they're often called cattle gates. And there's yeah, yeah. like, uh, you know, and you have the, uh, um, the I, I don't know how to describe it. You've got the grooved section that uh, a horse animal can't uh, yeah. go yeah. over. There's like a grid there. To, yeah, it's yeah. a grill. Yeah. And it just blocks them. They, they don't want to go out. Right. So that's why they have it built that way. And the gate is how you get into the ranch. Well, they showed in the movie the gate opening and as the gate is opening, they, they they have it displayed like a schematic diagram with the angles of the gate and how far the gate is open. And as the angles are changing, the numbers of, of the angles, the number of degrees are shifting as the as the gate is, is opening. That's giving you the idea of what the autistic person is seeing when they're seeing the gate opening. I'm saying to myself, Oh my God. When I see a gate open, I just see a gate open. When they see a gate open, they see you know what the angle of opening is every step of the way they can calculate it instantly in their mind and oh, mm. i have nowhere near that level of focus that they have
1: I'll, so, I'll give you a good example walt i'm i'm playing an online first-person shooter at the moment all those guys <laughs> okay can you believe i actually play first-person shooters okay like when so you first told me that that was a little surprise you know, but whatever yeah. <laughs> So there's Discord. I don't know if you know what Discord is, but it's an audio app that you can talk while you play. So on Discord, I'm chatting to this guy who I've become friends with. He's a Swedish guy. He's a nice guy. And um, he tells me he's found out eventually, after many years, that he's autistic. And I'm busy playing there, shooting, and he's telling me, there's a guy coming from your left. There's a guy. Now, he's got his own game and his own thing, (laughs) but he's telling me what's (laughs) happening to me. And I'm right. like going, how do you see what's happening in my game? Right. I know we're on the same team and all the rest of it, but he, he knows exactly where I am, where all the different players are, which characters they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I was just like, how do you get all that information? It's just so impressive. You know, I'm just sitting there, gobsmacked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the same feeling that I had with the, the Temple Grandin movie. Um, so, I mean – I, I know that there's still some stigma associated with autism. I guess this is my way of saying, throw the stigma out, folks. I think the autistic people have the advantage. They've got the drop on us. <laughs> We're the ones who are yeah, not trying I mean, to catch up.
1: <laughs> um, I think that's, that's very true. And I think a lot of people came into this life <clears throat> with ADHD and all other things to say, I'm not going to let anybody control me. I'm yeah. not going to let what you think or believe have any effect on me. And I've learned that over the years to cut out everybody else's belief, et cetera. But these guys are born into it. They come in saying, I don't agree on do, like anything that you're saying. And that's it. Game over. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will fight. I will kill. I'll do anything, but I'm not interested in what you say. <laughs> and, you know, it's brilliant. I think the power and the usefulness of that is, indeterminable because now somebody put it the, the the adults aren't very good at dispensing um, very good advice the things that they generally <laughs> only say to kids is yeah. of what they shouldn't do and things that, that went wrong in their lives and what they shouldn't do not right how the world works how alloy works what the life is how to use it how to focus on what you want, where to go, how to manifest what you want. None of that is tall. It's usually the advice parents give is, you know, don't buy insurance. It's to ripple for, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other, you know, don't swear, don't this, don't that, you know, uh, it's just it goes on and on and on and on. And it's just a bunch of things that they've learned along the way that tripped them up. And that's what they are sharing them. It's of very little value, very little little value, um, I believe. Um, When you're teaching them, you know, how the universe works, how to manifest what they want, and go out and make your own mistakes and do all the swearing and all the other things that you need to do, but at least you've got an idea of which way to go and how to use the tools, all the rest of it, and go play your own game, you know, and standing back watching your kid make their own mistakes, which I've done in numerous occasions. Much to other parents and my wife and other people's horror, <laughs> um, <laughs> until my wife got used to who I was and why I was doing it. To a great level of clarity, she was not particularly happy. <laughs> um, it's understandable, either, but, you know, it, it, yeah, it is understandable. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it, but um, I'm just appreciative that I have somebody in my life who been is prepared to spend the time to see why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: Absolutely in um, fact, I would even because, add to it that it's it's a wonderful thing when we let kids do their own thing and to their own failures. It's not something that yeah I mean I my child... like doing that. yeah <laughs>
1: themselves in quite awkward situations which they have suffered from temporarily, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, but that's the point. It's temporary, it doesn't last permanently,
1: exact well, death is temporary too. <laughs> True.
0: I, I, I think back to yeah. what I used to explain to parents who are considering bringing their children into that alternative school that I helped to found, the Sudbury Model School. Um, and what I would explain mm-hmm. to them is this. If whatever it is that the child is about to do puts them at imminent risk of serious injury or death, yes, intervene. Whatever way you have to, grab them by yep. the throat. And it you to step matter. in. Yep, Absolutely. Yeah. But if that's not there,
1: you pull them out of the road. Really? If the car's coming hurtling down,
0: yes,
1: yeah. this is not. This is a no-brainer.
0: This doesn't take a whole lot of time to figure out. You don't have to do an entire no, moral matrix doesn't. to figure out what's going on here. You know, but absent something like that, what do you but doing?
1: A, 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 a burn on the stove or something like that, it can be a great lesson. You know, you can tell them don't touch them Yeah, the They're stove, not going really to do that one stove. again. Well, you can <laughs> let them touch them once, burn themselves, have it healed, and then, you know, they'll know, you know? Yeah. It's done. You don't <laughs> actually Abel have to spot that one. It's like, Oh, that you hurt. Take, <laughs> you can go and take a child and take them into nice warm water and very shallow and let them paddle around in that you can take them a little deeper, you know, after 20 or 30 sessions, then you can take them a little deeper, and you can get them to kick a little bit, and then you can take them, and et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. Or you can mm-hmm. push them in the deep end.
0: <laughs> well,
1: I'm not sure I, I would cool. push
0: them into the deep end. I, I would not object to them heading toward the deep end, but I don't think I'd push them in. That's two different things, really.
1: Well, I would push them in because I'm very, very confident, specifically in water. And I remember taking my six-month-old baby and pushing them to the bottom of the deep end, watching them come up to the surface with this big smile on their face. Um, You know, but I've got the confidence. There was this parent who was watching me do that, and they said, I could never do that. And I said, then don't. (laughs) <laughs> you yes, take right. your child and probably do it but you can't do it with your child you must understand yeah. the difference <laughs> I have well, the belief me, there's, also, <laughs> <You don't>. there's <laughs> also
0: another factor though and the factor that I think about is do I want to interfere with another person's compass I mean if it were an adult I would. the last thing I would think of to do is to push an adult into the water so why would I push a child into the water that's the way I look at it I, I well, want to the think about it A in child of, being oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute Wait, 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 just a second. I want to explain what I'm talking about here. The the person who is pushed into something is not the same thing as the person who chooses to do something. And I think that when we Mm -hmm. push somebody, adult or child, doesn't really matter what we're talking about. What we're really saying is, I don't trust you to investigate the thing that I think you should investigate. Whereas I think the better position is to say, I do trust you. I trust the fact that you have this, I call it a built-in compass, call it whatever you want, a built-in guidance system that allows you to go where you need to go most to do what you need to do most in order to learn what you most le- need to learn and to do it in the time frame that you need to hmm. learn it. So from my, my perspective, I think, why would I want to interfere in anyone else's choices? I may not have made the same choices myself, but to me, it's it's the height of hubris for me to claim that I know for you what it is you should be studying <laughs> And if I'm not going to do that with a with a uh, an adult, why would I do that with a kid? That's the way I look at it. So there's my my fuller explanation.
1: No, I I, I get exactly what you're saying, and I don't and disagree with any of it. I think the way Abram put it in the the audio that I listened to was, you know, there was a bunch of kids playing on the side of the pool, and one bumped the other one in to the deep end, and they they learned to swim very quickly and got to the side, you know, um, and realized mm-hmm. that they could do it and had confidence, and then you know, sure. so. You pushed, yeah. It's 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 just a way of uh, getting across the idea of shortening the time frame of learning to swim, which is what Abram said. It doesn't really matter. Both the kids can swim in the end of the day. That's it. That's pretty much and it. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, it's true. That that is it. Both of the kids can it's, swim. <laughs>
0: it's one of the lessons <laughs> that, <laughs> that I learned from the, than uh, the other.
1: That's it. From
0: the Sudbury Model <laughs> School, it was one of the biggest lessons that I learned that if you have a school where kids literally have the choice about what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, including every aspect of what would traditionally be called schooling. And you basically just let them do whatever throughout their entire day, every single day, five days a week or seven days a week or however you want to look at it. By the time that they are 12 years old, they'll all know how to read. Even though you didn't put them in a reading exactly. class. Even though you didn't do exactly. anything. To push it on, they'll still know how to read every one of them, and that's because, that's really ooh, kind of a mind-breaking concept.
1: Ooh, I wanna. Yeah, I wonder how to make this plain. Oh, there, there's a diagram on um, on the internet. Oh, I need to print it off. Okay, and now I've got it, but I don't understand the words. What does this mean? <laughs> what does that? mean? How does that work? Oh, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. And so you put it together because you want. To. I'm watching it's my nice. daughter, so my older daughter. Was not interested at all. It, she, she would memorize these books. we Would take to bed with us, and then she would read them off. And we always thought she was reading, but she was, <laughs> she was memorizing. Them. So, <laughs> so um, then, then my 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 new younger one, my five-year-old now, is 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 doing the ta ta wah, you know, um, and all the different letters, stringing them together and making words and writing cat. Just from working it out, and my older daughter was not like that at all. Okay. Right. So my younger one is completely doing it the official way. The and, official way. You know, right. Neither is wrong. Both. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way the school would like you to learn it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. And uh, you know, in the end of the day, both of them will be able to read and write. <laughs> You know, and it doesn't really matter which method they use to get there. And, Not really. you know, I don't think kids should go to school until 12 years old, personally. I think <laughs> I they, get should the reading goes, they got play until 12 years old. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. I'd say that'd be a definite <laughs> I think they'll pick up reading
1: system. in absolutely no time once they're 12. I think they will be able to, Oh yeah. you know, but they've had 12 years of playing, of just being spontaneous, of creative and. Um, Happy, You know, no, that's my, my take on it. Well, speaking
0: of play, cause I gotta, I gotta pick up on your your cue there. I don't know if you've been to give it or not, but speaking of play, I want to encourage people to play with the Yellow Way today app because among other things, it gives you the opportunity to do what Chris did, which was uh, Chris sent in an email and look what we did with it. We turned it into an entire show. Uh, you can use it to simply ask a question for us to address. You can use it to bring up some points like Chris did, but use the app because one of the reasons we have that app is the ask a question form. And you can ask a question of any of my co-hosts or myself, and we will include it in the show. So take advantage of that. And then, by the way, you can also listen to the episodes. If you don't want to listen to it through your favorite podcast player, listen to it through the Elevate Today app. But whatever mm-hmm. you do, get the app and make sure you share it with others so that other people can do the same thing. Cause we want more and more people to ask those questions. And Louie, this has been good. We're looking forward to getting Amy back next week, but uh, I think we've proven once again, we can hold our own without her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we look forward to having her back next week.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, no doubt about it. So thank you very much. Thank you to our live streamers and especially thank you to our podcast listeners. We will see you all next time here on LA Today. Goodbye.